0: Welcome to the Demand Generation Club podcast. The first podcast dedicated exclusively to SaaS B2B demand gen secrets and best practices as shared by some of the top leaders in the industry. This podcast is brought to you by SaaS MQL, the account-based marketing agency that helps SaaS companies land six-figure deals with highly targeted campaigns by combining intent data, automation, and a proven methodology. SaaS MQL can help your company generate millions of dollars in sales opportunities within just a few months. To learn more, go to sasmql.com.
1: Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Demand Generation Club podcast. I'm your host, Franco Caporale. Our guest today is Lynn Morton, Vice President of Demand and Growth at Tradeify. Tradeify found growth applying visual-based personality assessment during the hiring process for high-volume workforces. Now the company is expanding product offering focusing on helping companies engage and grow employees once they are on board. In her role, Lynn set the strategic direction for marketing initiatives. Her efforts resulted in 130% growth in 2020, during the height of the pandemic. Lynn has extensive experience leading SaaS companies in their marketing efforts to accelerate growth. In her career, she has successfully built brands, while driving pipeline growth and establishing companies' products and services as the brand of choice. Her experience also includes building out the strategy and customer experience offerings across B2B, healthcare, Nonprofit, and consumer verticals. In her nine years at a top Baltimore agency, R2 Integrated. So I'm really happy to welcome today Dean Morton, Vice President of Demand and Growth at Tradeify. Lynn, it's fantastic to have you on the episode today. Thanks again for joining us.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited.
1: Tell us a little bit about your uh, your background, your career trajectory. How did you end up becoming the VP of Marketing at Tradeify?
0: Um, so I think I've taken sort of a non-traditional Trajectory, maybe from where I originally intended. Um, So I like to call myself a storyteller. Um, My background is in theater, I have my BFA in theater, I was a director by trade. Uh, I ran a theater company uh, while doing a marketing career, um, and I got into marketing because I was doing some internships in college at some performing arts organizations, and it was sort of as social media was coming up, and I was like, hey, there's, like, this really great opportunity where, like, all me and my friends go to, like, plan to do things, and why aren't we utilizing that to help expose these, um, our, our communities to these really amazing artists that we're hosting um, uh, in in our our organization. And it kind of took off from there. Um, You know, I've always been one to help uh, promote my friends' bands and things like that. And marketing, uh, to me, has just been a way to tell stories. And so I went from telling stories on stage to telling brand stories, Um, and uh, I worked at an agency for a really long time, uh, heading up strategy, uh, working with on some products that I guarantee you, you're probably using today or would covet. Um, and I worked several years with Microsoft uh, when I when I first started my agency career. Um, and for me, I I loved working in the agency. I loved the creativity Um but what I was looking for was to make more of an impact and and have some more ownership. Uh, so I, I moved brand side. I've always been a lover of tech startups, and so I found a tech startup uh, local to me uh, that's called Tradeify. Um, we do we're a human insight platform, and so we help enterprise businesses. Uh, leverage human insight to do better hiring. Um, So usually that comes in the form of assessments and the insights that come out of those assessments. uh, So we can help people optimize their talent experience. And so I've been uh, the VP of marketing here at Tradeify for about a year and a half now. Um, I started in December 2019. So uh, I had all of these amazing, wonderful plans for what 2020 was going to do and what I was going to what was going to happen, uh, and then COVID hit. And so it's been uh, such an amazing learning experience over the last year as a marketer and, and really tested sort of my uh, ability to pivot, if you will, <laughs> um, and, and still create uh, and deliver what, what marketers need to while sort of navigating um, some really incredible challenges uh, for, um, for not just our business, but the world.
1: Yeah, you started a very interesting time at, at 3.85, like perfect timing. Um,
0: how,
1: <laughs> how is your team uh, today? How big is your team and the company in general?
0: Yeah, so um, we are, we've gone through some shifts over the last year. And so all in all, um, I've got uh, three on my team, including myself. Um, we were a little bit bigger uh, prior to... Uh, COVID, because the uh, SDR team was part of my team, um, but unfortunately, we had to make some uh, some tough choices about what our programs were going to look like moving through COVID. And as I mentioned, you know, we focus on enterprise businesses. Uh, uh, that do specifically high volume hiring, focusing on restaurants, retail, and hospitality. And so given we've we've obviously pivoted and expanded beyond that, um, but we had to recognize that our core audience wasn't necessarily buying because uh, we helped them hire and that was not what they were doing in that moment. Um, so we've expanded into like manufacturing and logistics, healthcare, et cetera, uh, um, in a way to sort of overcome a lot of that. But we had to kind of blow up. I literally blew up my entire plan for 2020, <laughs> if I'm honest, um, and and was able to sort of scrounge up a, a new way to approach what we were going to do.
1: And you guys are probably going to see now uh, the opposite wave coming back as soon as uh, hospitality and, and retail restarted like a full-fledged. Uh, I'm well, sure you guys are getting ready for it.
0: It's fascinating. Um, so I, I sort of have this idea of uh, the applicant wave, but um, what's actually happening right now is uh, what we sort of bat around and call the candidate crisis, where uh, because we focus on high volume roles and and um, what's happening within that industry, uh, there's definitely a talent shortage that's happening right now. So um, it depends on sort of what segment of the industry you're focused on where, you know, some, some people are focused on gangbusters and trying to get the best talent in to reduce turnover and some people just want candidates. So, um, we've definitely seen recovery for sure. Um, but I would also say that doesn't mean that the industry still isn't facing major challenges as a result of what's happened
1: in the last year. Absolutely. And, uh- you know, from my conversation with you, what really struck me as an interesting topic, uh, you know, in all your experience at Rateify, was about your ability to bootstrap literally an ABM strategy and ABM program with with a limited budget, including all the pivots that you had to do. So, I wanna I wanna unpack a little bit that that specific topic. How do you guys are able to? to run an effective ABM program that is the goal of many startups, but without, you know, over-investing in platforms and data and other solutions?
0: Yeah. So I definitely focus on what are the foundational investments that I need to make. And so there's things that I need to put money into. uh, And I just sort of accept that. Like I need to put money into a CRM. I need to put money into a marketing automation platform um, I, and for us, we use HubSpot for both of those. Um, I need to put money into a contact database such as like Zoom Info, uh, because I can't, I can't get around those. I need to have those things, um, where the sort of nice to have and the things that make ABM a lot easier are the, are the places that unfortunately I have to get smart and sort of hack around. Right. Um, and so what the approach that I've taken in terms of where I make my investments is, okay, hey, what are the elements of ABM that I need to accomplish? And are there ways, sort of non-traditional ways that I can still get those things, um, while without it, um, really impacting the program as a whole? So, uh, I really leverage partners who can bring stuff to the table with me without having to make the investment in a full orchestration platform. So some, some examples of that that I do is I have a programmatic partner um, called Brandzuka where I can do um, matching to my target account list on those contacts uh, through LiveRAM. Um, I leverage a content syndication uh, partner Uh, called integrate where I can add in my intent data um, to the to the leads that are coming in so I actually not only am I doing content syndication program I know uh, and if I get really really targeted with my intent terms I know that the people that are coming in are are more likely to buy and convert because I've got intent data attached to that Um, and then Within that, I also try to take those different elements and then break them down into ways that I can get smarter and more intelligent. So, I was talking about content syndication programs. I also think about what sort of content I am uh, putting into those programs and sort of how do they represent different uh, different phases of the buying uh, funnel. Um, one thing that I have really hit home with my my team is I'm really inspired by Gartner's. Um, they they call it buyer enablement uh, and thinking about buying jobs and and you know I think as marketers we we've for years focused on the funnel and it it gets talked about as a really linear process um, and I think in some cases it is um, I think in some cases it's not um, and so I try to think about like what are the buying jobs and what are the content that I can align with that and what what helps people get further down the road. Um, Uh, when it comes to actually completing a purchase and working that into these programs and layering that in uh, as a way to not only hook them, but push them uh, more into the hands of sales.
1: Are you also investing in any inbound type of strategy in parallel to your ABM program or uh, not? And if not, why not?
0: So what's funny is I think if this were like two years ago and I was back at my agency, um, you know, I looking at the program that I do now, I would have thought I was crazy. Um, but getting into it and sort of being on the brand side of things and, and getting my hands dirty, I'm probably one of the few companies out there that isn't investing really heavily in Google ads. Um, we, don't, we don't have a Google ad spend. Um, I focus a lot of my ad spend more in programmatic display and that CRM matching. So I'm focused on my target account list, um, as well as like on LinkedIn, um, I'm doing CRM matching and and um, uh, I forget tailored audiences or custom audiences. I can't remember what LinkedIn <laughs> calls it off the top of my head. Um, so that way I know that I'm hitting the people that I'm trying to hit. Um, where Google ads are really hard for us is, as an assessment company that has a personality assessment, um, some of the keywords that we would rank for, or that have really high volume, um, where I could get scale out of a Google Ads program, are also things that your everyday consumer would be clicking on and clicking through to, and and technically converting on like our free demo because you know people like to take personality quizzes, <laughs> or in our case an assessment. Um, so for us, it was it was a sort of hard decision to make. Um, uh, or it, it, I shouldn't say a hard decision. Um, it was sort of an unexpected outcome of like the industry and market that I'm working on. Cause we have got, you know, it's very niche. We've got a really tight ICP, uh, and I've got a limited budget. So I've got to spend money uh, in the places where I can actually hit the people that I, I know hundred percent are my buyers. And, and with Google ads, Google ads just can't deliver that for me.
1: That makes sense. And so what are these channels that you're leveraging today? You mentioned some of the content syndication, display ads. Um, yep. How are they working for you? And kind of how are you orchestrating those, those channels?
0: I think um, when it comes to my channels, like the big sort of lens that I take is like, is this a channel that will allow me to market to a specific person? And so on, on top of the funnel awareness, I, uh, I, I have P I have a PR agency that I work with that focuses on like very broad. Um, but that's to position us as a thought leader. And so when it comes to our marketing channels, uh, I mentioned I use programmatic display with, um, with email match. Uh, we use uh, social ads specifically only LinkedIn. Um, we don't utilize Facebook. We didn't see really good results for us on that. Um, so we've doubled down and focused on LinkedIn, uh, all of our campaigns have some sort of tailored audience, um, audience matching associated with them on that. Content syndication, um, I'm not audience matching, but I am pulling from intent, uh, which is then uh, filtered down based on our ICP. So literally every lead that comes in through our content syndication programs, my sales team is like, I would love to have a conversation with them. <laughs> um, so that means I'm getting I'm getting at least from... Um, um, from an ICP perspective and getting people that sales wants to talk to. And then those go into our target account list. And as we move further down the funnel, um, we start going into uh, sort of the combination of outbound, which is email calling um, and engage, uh, LinkedIn connections, things like that, where we start to get a little bit um, more one-to-one uh, within the the um, type of communication that we do uh, and and this is where we start to get into uh, much more detailed segmentation within the target account list. So, looking at um, you know how they how they came in for us, are they um, part of a, our content syndication program? Um, uh, are they part of our target account list that we've been working? What their role is? How that relates to the products that we're selling? Because we have a couple of product solutions within our larger platform. And within that, um, that's where we're really looking to either do one of two things: sort of educate and nurture with content, um, or get them to open a discovery meeting with sales. And so, uh, because we are a really nimble team and had to make some some challenges, we uh, in any um, in in this sort of phase of our funnel, uh, any. Communication that is more on the education and nurture side. It's from the Tradeify brand, and it's more of a marketing spin. Um, even if it comes out of our growth team, our growth team is also responsible for any sort of uh, sort of off the bat sales ask, like, "Hey, would you like to learn more or take our demo?" And we actually um, make those coming from our individual salespeople. So we really have that we put our salespeople front and center uh, with the prospects because we want to start a relationship before they even start talking to them physically.
1: And so when that handoff happens, like when, when are you triggering that one-to-one communication? Is there a, is there a system or a specific filter triggers that you use to, um, to make that transition?
0: Yeah. So i um, We have sort of, when when a discovery meeting happens, it's where we actually put them into our pipeline. And we've got some like triggers around um, when a discovery meeting sort of would fall flat, if you will, and and we would sort of close lost the discovery, if you will. Um, But we've put them in there so that way we can better um, uh, see what's happening. And the handoff to sales happens the moment that somebody asks for uh, either a discovery or a pitch or demo. Usually the customer, you know, a discovery meeting is something that salespeople want. It's not something that your customers want. They just want to, like, get into the sales process. Having worked at the agency for so long and bought a bunch of tech, like, I know whether or not you're a right fit for me most of the time. Um, I just want to, like, talk to a salesperson. (laughs) Um, But... Uh, you know, there has to be some sort of we we sort of set our, our sales team up for success where um, they can move from a discovery uh, right into uh, a pitch very, very quickly on that. I think, you know, as as our programs expand, um, that that will probably add more layers in. Uh, but that's in that in that piece. Um, that's where our handoff to sales happens is. Uh, once somebody raises a flag and says that they do want to learn more, isn't just engaging, but actually like voicing uh, that they want to want to uh, get in touch with us.
1: And once uh, once an account an account becomes an opportunity, how do you manage from a marketing perspective that bottom of the funnel? Yes. What is your role?
0: that's where we really start to move into more of the sales enablement first perspective. I definitely see that there's opportunity for us in the future to add some, you know, kind of bring in some of the higher level awareness stuff to support that because it's always good to have content and sort of your name in front of people while they're in the sales perspective. But like, again, we're a small team that's trying to scale. So like I got to focus on where makes them where my efforts are making the most impact and not just what are the nice to haves. Um, You know, you've probably caught on that. I haven't mentioned orchestration platform in any way, shape, shape, or form because one, they're really expensive and they're a nice to have right now. Um, So going back to your to your question, though, um, we definitely move into more of that sales enablement, and as the deals become bigger and further down our pipeline, is where it starts to become um, much more custom and personalized. So, I think some of our strengths on our our side, uh, if I had to to rank them, one of the one of our top strengths is we are really great at creating. Really dazzling assets very quickly uh, that can be personalized very quickly. So um, I've got uh, video content creators in house uh, because we just have people who have uh, a lot of different skills embodied in one person. Um, so we can pump out custom videos, we can pump out custom PDFs, etc., very very quickly, uh, and that makes our a really sort of like nimble team. Uh, seem much more powerful <laughs> than we are because we have we have utility players and though design doesn't live on our team i you know i utilize them a lot sales um us and product'll utilize our design team very very quickly or uh, start to a very high volume and um oh sorry go
1: ahead i'm sorry no i wanted to say because you're talking about bootstrapping you know all these initiatives uh when when do you decide that it's time to scale that and scale this whole program after you've made all these very strategic bets in different, uh, different directions?
0: Yeah. I think when I, when I start making some of those larger investments to make it, um, easier for my team is when I've got, um, I've been able to prove out a really, really high ROI on what we're doing right now. Like, we haven't broken anything, right? The system is working. We're getting these opportunities opening uh, for us. And we have a really long sales cycle um, of, you know, at least six months. Uh, generally, can be like five sometimes. Um, also depends on the customer. Uh, I've we've had sales cycles that easily take a year. Um, so when we're when we're working on these programs and sort of evaluating it, how they're working, you know, we're looking a lot on engagement through to and whether or not they're opening um, opportunities for us. And so as we start to see sort of the flood of opportunity that we're expecting in this Q4 because we've been working on this for you know the last um, year or so uh, in in different variations, but I'd say our, our, sort of current, uh, mix we've been working on in 2021, as we start to see the flood, then, um, we'll start making additional investments, um, to either expand what we're already doing. So like, Hey, am I going to go spend more on content syndication and get those leads in? Cause that's a really great source for us. Um, or am I going to, um, Am I going to start investing more in tech because, you know, my team can only handle so much? Or am I going to invest in more team members? I think when we see what starts to come in, we'll start to determine how we make the investments um,
1: uh,
0: out, of, out of the results of this program.
1: I mean, this is uh, really, really helpful. Like, I love your strategy of leveraging partners and kind of find this, all this. Uh, this solution without having to go all out and and, and buy expensive platform, but really f- using these strategic partners in, in the most uh, effective way. Uh, I think uh, this is a great, uh, great strategy. Uh, but I have one more question for you, which is something I like to ask to every guest is what is really top of mind for you? Top priority, something you're trying to solve or something that keeps you up at night?
0: Yeah. So I mentioned earlier about how my plan just like got completely blown up and events were a huge spine of that plan, that original plan. And, um, you know, I've experimented with some virtual events in the last year and like they they're just not delivering the amount of opportunity that I was seeing from in-person events, at least in terms of like opening opportunities for our salespeople. And so I think the thing that I'm sort of, oh, what am I planning for (laughs) in H2 and beyond is like, what role are events going to play again for me? Because, you know, I think um, everything, events are starting to happen again. In-person events are starting to happen again. And they were such a valuable part of the marketing mix, uh, especially for our industry prior to COVID. Um, And And so what impact are they going to have moving forward? Because I think people's attitudes are just so different about in-person events and participating in them, even though people are really excited to sort of get back to normal. Um, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with events. And so I'm sort of preparing myself to be as nimble as possible within that, which is super fun because events are like, you know, a high dollar investment. Uh, They're not cheap in any way, shape or form. Uh, And as I mentioned today, my strategy is very much driven by a trying to be as lean as possible on on the financial side of my investments. So for me, that's definitely something that I'm thinking about. And how do I plan? How do I plan for that? And if things get derailed, where can I, I sort of reallocate those investments to keep keep this program, uh, our demand gen program, pumping out what it needs to, so sales is happy. Because let's put it this way if sales is happy, then I've done my job. And if sales isn't happy, then like, okay, I got to look at what I'm doing and, and fix some stuff.
1: Yeah. Live events are hard to, to replace with anything. I think we are all uh, looking forward to going back to in-person events.
0: I mean, they they are um, they were always just so important for me, even from just like a professional development perspective. And I think some companies have been doing it well, but I even noticed some of the events, the virtual events that I've been as an attendee and I am like staying away from vendors and that's like, uh, that's not good. Um, But it, I think a lot of that can also be indicative of the buying cycles. And so as people, as things start to open back up and as people's budgets start to expand again, you know, they're going to be more, uh, there's going to be more opportunity to buy. So you've got to be where they're going going to go buy.
1: Absolutely. Lynn, I really enjoy our conversation. Thanks again for uh, joining us in this episode.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.